You ready? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, there's a great verse in Scripture that says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and training in righteousness. This passage that we're going to go through today is not necessarily one of the big rah-rah sermons that you would hear. We go through the passage again, every single verse in Scripture, and we've made our way to the end of Second Kings, or excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 22. This is a training in righteousness passage. There is a reason it's in Scripture, and it is basically the flyby condensed version of the reign of a man named Jehoshaphat. Now here's why this is important today. There's a longer version in First Chronicles, but at the end of Ahab's reign that we went through last week, at the end of a wicked king uh, being in office, all of a sudden we find out that coinciding was, Je- uh, was a Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was living with a good reputation even in the midst of there being another wicked king that he shares a border with. And so I want you to do this today. On the back of your bulletins, and you have a pen in your chair, I want to encourage you to answer a question that I'm about to give you throughout the service. Are you ready? This question is, are you ready? Pick someone not from our church or your family. What would they say your reputation is? Let me ask it again. Pick someone not from our church or from your family. What would they say your reputation is? And I want to encourage you throughout the service today, jot down some of the good, the bad, and the ugly on what people would have to say about who you are. Now, just for the record, uh, when I started writing this down, I started going through it myself and looking at some things in my own life. And I think uh, my hope is that someone would say that I'm a hard worker, uh, that I love my family. I think that uh, it would be fairly obvious with anybody I interact with, hopefully, that, uh, that I am a believer in Jesus Christ and striving to live a life of discipleship. If I'm being honest, um, that I'm slow to return emails. All right, it's just the way it goes. I type with two fingers. I never did the typing class, and uh, I write real slow, and so I'm slow to return emails. I think they would say I probably am one who eats too much. Uh, I do love and enjoy food, always have. Um, little shout-out, by the way. Some of you may have noticed I've been losing some weight. I had a, had a little health scare with some blood pressure, and so I'm down 20 pounds since February. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. Got to celebrate what you can. The COVID-19 is almost gone. You know, so just going to be great. All that to say, um, when you think about your character, there's some good stuff that you're proud of. And then there's some stuff that you're not so proud of. And then if we're honest, there's some stuff we wish would just go away. In Ecclesiastes chapter seven, here's what it says. This is a great verse for us, especially in this city. It says a good name is better than fine perfume. Underline better than fine perfume. And the day of death better than the day of birth. Stop right there for just a minute. Two parts here when it comes to down, two parts here when it comes to a good reputation. The first is a good name is better than fine perfume. Have you ever walked into a room before and someone put on way too much cologne or way too much? Some of you are like, yes, today, the person next to me. No, that's not you, all right? Now listen, or too much perfume. You walk in and you smell it and it fills the room. Even though you can't see it, even though you don't even necessarily know who it is, it is evident from the second that they walk into the room. In the ancient culture, perfume was even more potent than it is today. And when somebody walked in, man, that smell filled the room and it was evident from the start. That's a good reputation. When someone walks in, even if they don't know all the stories, even if they don't have every detail, just them being in the room carries this aroma to it where, again, it fills the room and it's better than fine perfume. I love the part at the end, too, where it says, and the day of death. 
death better than the day of birth. The picture there is that birth is the day of great anticipation for what life could be. For the person with a good reputation, it's not anticipation, it's celebration of the good things that your life was all about. You ever been to a funeral before where somebody truly lived for Christ with their whole life, someone was truly striving to live in righteousness, and you walk in and everybody cries at the funeral, but it's tears of joy because that person lived in such a godly and righteous manner. I'm telling you, those are the funerals as a preacher. You love to preach. You ever walked in on the opposite? You come into a funeral and it's someone that truly, they live for themselves. They live for themselves. They were very selfish. And you walk in and I'm telling you, there's tears at the funeral because they've lost this individual. But they aren't tears of joy. This is tears of great sadness because there was great anticipation for their life and it just didn't quite pan out. Now, this isn't a moment for us to judge those people. It's a moment for us to self-reflect on where we are in that process. Are you the type of person that truly you would say, I've got a good reputation. I'm working on maintaining that in Jesus' name, not for my benefit, but for his. Are you somebody that needs just a little bit of work? As a preacher, we get to do funerals for everybody. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then a lot of times, just the way the line of work goes, a lot of times we do the funerals for people we've never met. And that always is a really tough one. And so a little preacher trick, what we do is you take your yellow pad and you set up a meeting with the family and you sit down and say, tell me every story you can think of because I want to be able to try to put together an image of this person. Well, one time I'm doing this, had a church member that said, we don't have anybody to do mom's funeral. Can you come and can you help us? And it was a whole bunch of kids in the family. So I sit down, we're at IHOP, my favorite place, love to sit at IHOP, sitting at IHOP, and I'm writing down all the information. They're telling me story after story about their mom. And I'm telling you just beautiful stories of who their mom was. And I remember, I get up at the funeral, I start to preach, and when I do, nobody's crying, everybody's just smiling and staring back at me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, man, this must have been a really great lady. And I'm sharing these stories and going through, and they're just smiling. And at one point, one of the kids covers their mouth like this. One of the, one of the adult children covers their mouth like this. Well, then after it's over, the daughter comes up to me, and she goes, we're not sure who you were preaching about today. And I said, what are you talking about? They said, apparently, we only told you the good stories. Mom was a horrible person. That's what she said. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? I said, this are the stories that you told me. She goes, we know, we know. We totally ruined the whole thing, but nobody was buying it today in the sermon that you preached. So that's not my fault, people, all right? That's not my fault. Now, here's the deal. Don't forget the image. The image is this. I shared the stories that I was told as an outsider, but they knew the truth, all of them. Everyone at the funeral who actually knew this person went, that was not who she was. That was not the way that she lived. What a powerful example for us to remember. It doesn't matter what people say, uh, what they say about you that you paid them to say in your business or what you paid them to say on your Twitter account or what you, again, have coerced them to say about your business. What matters is what people smell. Is the fragrance of your life, Jesus Christ, was the fragrance of your life that you've lived selfishly? It begs, it begs this statement. Are you ready? A good reputation fills the room and is evident, even though it cannot be seen. Even though it cannot be seen. 
So now, flipping your Bibles over to 1 Kings chapter 22, and we are going to look at the fragrance and the aroma of Jehoshaphat. We're going to look at his life condensed basically in a nutshell here of what he did right, what he did wrong, and what the legacy is of his time here on earth. If you're taking notes, our big million dollar question today, what do we learn from Jehoshaphat about keeping a good reputation? What do we learn from Jehoshaphat about keeping a good reputation? I can guarantee you, you could go your entire ministry life to church every Sunday and not hear this passage preached on. Because we work through verse by verse, you are not here by accident today, and you were supposed to hear what we're going to talk about. It's a great thing in D.C. when we can talk about reputation. Are you ready? Look at 1 Kings 22, verses 41 through 44. Remember, the story here of Jehoshaphat comes on the heels of the story of Ahab, the most wicked king in the history of Israel. And remember, Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, they share a boundary together, but they were, for years and years, they were brothers and the same countrymen until they split. This is truly a group that shares a boundary and they also share blood. Here's what it says in verse 41. This is Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, and Asa was a famous godly king in Judah, became the king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, the king of Israel. Underline the fourth year of king Ahab. That means that almost the entirety of Jehoshaphat's reign was specifically while his neighbor was doing wicked and evil things in the eyes of Almighty God. Verse 42, so Jehoshaphat was 35 when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 25 years. His mother's name was Azuba, daughter of Shehi. It says, in everything, he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. Look at this. This is what I'd love to have on my tombstone. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What a powerful compliment about his character. It says the high places, however, were not removed and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The picture there is that even though he was known as a man who did right in the eyes of the Lord, he was not Jesus, he was not perfect, and that is of note here. There were some things in his life that were not necessarily beautiful, some things that he allowed that he could have done away with. Now look at verse 44. It says Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. Circle, highlight, and underline all of verse 44. It's the first big mark of Jehoshaphat's character. It says that he was at peace with the man that could very easily have been his enemy. Remember, they share blood, they're countrymen, but they're divided by a border at this point. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do we learn from Jehoshaphat about keeping a good reputation? Number one, first and foremost, be a pleasant neighbor. Be a pleasant neighbor. That is something that we have forgotten in the last year. It's a powerful thing. It doesn't mean that you have to agree and affirm with everybody. But if you immediately turn the dial up to 10 with someone that you will regularly see again, that's a really bad idea. If you're going to see them over and over, make sure that you are at a point where you dial it back just a little bit and be seen as pleasant, not agreeable, but as someone who is pleasant to navigate and to deal with. That goes people you, again, who are neighbors with, people you, you're brothers with, that you share a boundary with. These are people in home. These are people at work. These are city officials. These are servicemen and women. These are people, again, who you will see again, and if you blow up at them, all it's going to do is strain things moving forward. You ever blown up at somebody that you had to see again? I remember, by the way, and for some of you married couples, you really needed to hear that today. Okay, For some of you in a roommate situation where he or she won't do the dishes, all right? 
dial it down. You can have those discussions without turning it to an 11. When you do that, those are words that go out. That's an attitude that goes out that you can't get back. You want a good reputation and a pleasant environment? Be a pleasant neighbor to those who are near to you. So I learned this working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. All right? I do love get to eat at IHOP, but I worked for four and a half years at Red Lobster. And we had an old man in his 80s worked as a professor at Oklahoma State, and his goal at the end of his life was to eat at a nice restaurant every single day for lunch. And so that restaurant was, of course, Red Lobster in Stillwater. And so I'll never forget, this guy would come in, this is before the internet on our phones, and so he would come in with his New York Times newspaper, with his Wall Street Journal, and uh, the Stillwater Times, I think is what it was. But he would come in, and he would sit down, and he would read his newspapers, and he would come up with stock tips that he would just kind of mess around on. And so he would always order the soup and salad and he would tip it was like 10% he would tip like 75 cents on a $7.50 meal so nobody wanted to wait on him but he was there every single day every other day basically he would come in there was a time when you did want to wait on him and that was where he had a hairdresser uh, that was in her 40s again he was in his 80s she was in her 40s and he would take her out to eat every couple of months at Red Lobster and so you wanted to wait on him that day because he would always splurge and spend a little bit more money uh, to kind of throw it around in front of her but I remember I'm waiting on this guy the first time and none of us want to wait on him because you know it's just going to be 75 cents for an hour's worth of work so I remember I didn't treat him very good, and I just kind of, because I'd heard everything people had said about him, I just kind of put him on the back burner. I remember the manager, had a really great godly manager. He called me over, and he goes, you just made a huge mistake. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you will see that guy again, day after tomorrow. You will see him again. I said, well, I don't want to wait on him next time. He goes, nobody wants to wait on him. He said, but someone has to, because you work for the company. And so for three months, it took me three months to win this guy back over. And I'm telling you, every time that I would wait on him for four years, he'd come up and go, man, you've done a whole lot better now than you did that first time that you waited on me. When you see people repeatedly and you dial it up to an 11, it ruins your reputation with that person. And guys, the earth is too small a place. You will see them again. Hadn't you figured this out, some of you who work on Capitol Hill? It's just a big, small town. I'm telling you, you see these people again. You can dial it up to an 11, but you will see these folks again. And in many cases, you may end up working in their office at some point where you're side by side together. I heard a guy say it this way one time. He said, always be nice to the intern in your office because you never know one day when they'll be the chief of staff uh, in the office. It's just the way that it goes. You just never know when somebody is going to end up being a really important relationship for you. And not just for you to move up. I mean for it to be a pleasant working or living environment. You ever had road rage with somebody? Because they cut you off, and so then you go up and you try to get next to them, or you cut somebody else off for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden, you sit on 395 for two hours staring at each other? You had that happen before? You just started a relationship with them because of that road rage, and then all of a sudden, you're sitting there with them staring daggers in the side of your head for two hours, and you're going, you know what? It really didn't matter that I cut them off to try to get in front of them, right? I'm telling you, we've got to be pleasant towards one another. Not agreeable, not affirming a bad behavior, or things that scripture calls sinful but we can be pleasant and courteous to one another especially people that we share a boundary with if you're taking notes write this down are you ready it is not wise to escalate conflict 
with someone you share a boundary with. It is not wise to escalate conflict with someone you share a boundary with. This happened the other day for me at the DMV. This was pre-pandemic, and I've told some of you this story before. But I'll never forget, I'm up here at the DMV. If you have been there before, it's just one big, wide, open room, you know? And so everybody's there together. And uh, anytime conflict starts to escalate, because nobody wants to be there, right? Nobody wants to be waiting. And so anytime, the DC way is to pretend like, even though the person is screaming, you stare at the floor like nothing is going on, right? That's just the way that we do. So I'm there, and all of a sudden this older man comes in, and I can tell he's speaking Farsi. He comes in. And he's trying to get his cab registered so that he can keep driving. And so he comes in, he's older, and he doesn't speak English. He's coming in, he's trying to figure out how to get his paperwork done, and we're all just staring at the floor. Well, the poor worker at the DMV doesn't know what to do with him also because she doesn't speak Farsi. And finally, she escalates and she goes, sir, I can't help you. I don't know what it is that you're saying. Please go to the computer and you can click your language over there. She points to the computers and you watch it. He's just broken. He doesn't know what to do. I don't speak Farsi, and so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I, I don't know what I could do to help this man. And we're all just staring at the ground, and you can see him just over there. And again, he's emotional, trying to figure out what to do. And so finally, I was like, I don't know what I would do, but I should just do something. All right, I thought, man, they're going to be sitting there going, look, the pastor's sitting right there and doing nothing, right? He needs to do something. None of them do. So I stand up, I walk over to the guy, and I just thought, maybe I can help him input his information from what he's got in his hands onto the computer. So I said, sir, let me try to help you. And he's trying to talk to me in Farsi. I said, I don't speak Farsi. I'm so sorry. I said, but name. And I start to type in the name. The occupation. You know, and we're walking through stuff. And then I'm telling you, we're going through things. Then finally it hits me like a ton of bricks. Maybe the room would listen to me. It's what I do for a living, right? Maybe the room would listen to me. So I stand up and I go, is there anyone here that speaks Farsi? Is there anyone here that speaks Farsi? And then all of a sudden, a guy stands up at the back, walks up, and he goes, I speak Farsi, I'll do it, you know, da, da. We get there, he plugs in, it takes like 30 seconds. It wasn't even long. And the man is so grateful. And the young man that had walked up, the translated for him was like, he goes, and we could have helped him all this time. And guess what? Fragrance in the room. Everybody was watching anyway. Judge Judy was a rerun. And so everybody was watching <laughs> what's going on in the room anyway, right? And so guess what happened afterwards? After it gets done, they call my name. All the workers had been watching it too. I walk up and the lady goes, you know, you're missing paperwork, but we all saw what you did. Pass, get out of here, all right? Now listen, be a pleasant neighbor. Help where you can. Did we forget that in the last two years? Be a pleasant neighbor. Take care of one another for crying out loud. Take care of each other. For Jehoshaphat, he comes in and he could flex. He could look at Ahab's, Ahab and Ahab's kid and say, you know what? You guys don't serve the same God that I serve. You guys don't live the same way that I live. You don't respect the laws of Yahweh the way I respect the laws of Yahweh. But instead, he found a way not to let them run his life, but to coexist and be a pleasant neighbor. By the way, some of you need to memorize this verse. Are you ready? Proverbs 29, 11. Save your spot in 1 Kings. Proverbs 29, 11. This verse, by the way... 
For some of you who are strained in a relationship, whether it be marriage, dating, or whether it be a roommate relationship, somebody that you see all the time that you share a boundary with, all right? Proverbs 29.11 is probably the verse. If I've got 10 verses that I quote in my head often, this is one of those 10 verses. Are you ready? Here's what it says. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. If you are tempted as passionate people, and I'm a passionate person myself, if you are tempted to turn that dial up to an 11 and unleash the fury, you need to know that what you will do in that other person is stir hatred for you on the other side. A fool gives full vent to their anger because you're going to see those people again. But a wise person keeps themselves under control. What a powerful thing for us to remember. It begs this question. Are you ready? Are you considering yelling at your neighbor? Are you considering yelling at your neighbor? Don't. It's a bad idea. It'll give you a terrible reputation. It'll make people not want to be around you. And these are people that you see all the time. Now you would say, Zach, are you saying it's never okay to go to an 11? There are times, but very, very few. You go to an 11 and it is a monumental moment. Probably not over the dishes, right? Probably not over somebody leaving trash on the counter, Probably not over something that ends up a monumental moment. I wish I could tell you I've done this perfectly. There was one time, this is really shameful. I didn't tell this in the first service. Autumn's not in here, so I can say it. She usually sits right over here. Um, There was one time that I was frustrated about some things, and we had just, we were in the bathroom area, and there was steam on the the little shower glass, and I'm such an idiot. This is so awful. I gave her preacher's thinking points. It's just who we are. And I did dots. And I said, number one, number two, number three, number four. And I listened to think it was so dumb. And her mouth is on the ground like, did you just preach at me? Did you seriously just preach at me? And so we worked through it. And then now, that was years ago. And she's still, every now and again, I'll be like, hey, we got to do this and this. And she'll be like, hold on, number one, number two, <laughs> number three. And I'm like, oh, come on, right? When you have four kids, you talk in the bathroom. That's what you do, all right? All that to say, I was unpleasant. And it became memorable. That's the way that we need to remember for one another. When you get unpleasant, it becomes memorable. There's a way to argue. There's a way to, again, get your point across. There's a way to correct someone without turning it into something that becomes a monument. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 45 through 47. So here's what it says next. Again, some good and some ugly here. Some cool things that he does. Verse 45. It says, as for the other events of Jehoshaphat's reign, the things he achieved and the military exploits, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Verse 46 is interesting. It says, he rid the land of the male shrine prostitutes who remained there even after the reign of his father Asa. And there was no king in Edom, a deputy ruled there. Underline a deputy ruled there. uh, And then underline again uh, that male shrine prostitutes that you have right there as well. I promised you guys that we would go through every single verse in scripture, okay? And this is one of those that you probably never would have read, but it is in scripture. To describe who Jehoshaphat is, it says specifically that uh, even though his father allowed these what they're called male shrine prostitutes, one of the literal translations there is sodomites, but these aren't just sodomites, these are sodomites in the temple. 
temple. The idea was that prostitution was allowed under the auspices of a holy perspective in the temple because it was a sexual release that had no outer consequence. Again, the idea of sodomy here that pregnancy couldn't take place. And so the picture here is sin on the inside that didn't have an expression on the outside that people couldn't see while it was going on. Jehoshaphat has good, strong character here because what he does is he doesn't just care about sin that is visible, but also the sin on the inside as well. And we find then in verse 47, it says, and there was no king in Edom, a deputy ruled there. Now, why this is important is because Edom is one of the countries that is trying to fight against Judah and fight against Israel throughout this time period. But have you ever heard the old saying, don't kick a man while he's down? The picture of Jehoshaphat's character is that even though Edom didn't have a ruler and it would have been real easy to take them over or to take cities and fortify them and take parts of their land, Jehoshaphat was wise enough not to fight a battle against a dog that was on the ground, not to kick a dog while he was down. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do we learn from Jehoshaphat about keeping a good reputation? Number one, be a pleasant neighbor. And number two, avoid exploiting the weak. Avoid exploiting the weak. In this case, Edom had no ruler. A deputy rules there. And instead of going, man, we can shake them down and get as much as we could possibly get. Instead, Jehoshaphat says, let's get, let them get their house in order before we go against them and try to extend our boundaries and try to grow our kingdom. There's a difference between doing business with somebody and gouging them. And that's the thing to remember when it comes to your neighbors. There are going to be points when you're up, and there are going to be points when you're down. The goal of a neighbor is that you deal fairly even when they are at a point where they are in desperate need and they need help. Now, there's a difference between leverage and, again, this idea of gouging or exploitation. Let me give you an example of that. So write it on, uh, on 9-11. I'm in Stillwater, Oklahoma, sophomore in college at Oklahoma State. And I'll never forget, my girlfriend, her father, uh, worked for Aero Trucking and had gotten a press release right after the Twin Towers were hit. He gets a press release across his desk, and it says, tell the truckers to pull over immediately and to fill up with gas because there could be a gas shortage that takes place right after this. Now, just for the record, this came to my mind again two weeks ago because we did the same thing. Many of us had to go and fill up with gas quickly because it looked like there was a run taking place. Well, sure enough... Um, I'll never forget, we drive up to the convenience store, and it is listed at $6 a gallon. This is 2001, $6 a gallon. Now, just so you know, my little 20-year-old brain at that time, we've just watched these planes hit these buildings, and then all of a sudden we see signs where it's $6 a gallon for gas. We got so scared. My little, I had a little Mitsubishi Mirage, a little 93 Mitsubishi Mirage, and that thing got, to, uh, basically got to, uh, you know, had a 10-gallon tank. It was 60 bucks to fill that little car up with gas, and I mean, that only got me halfway home uh, from Stillwater to Lubbock if I had to go in to be with my parents. And I remember I was so scared. Well, in the days to follow, guess what happened? All of a sudden, all these articles come out that there was no gas shortage, that we'd been gouged by the people in that community. And can I tell you this? I never went there ever again. Ever, ever again. 
Once I realized that they had taken not just advantage of me, but taken advantage of other students, it just made me so furious. To this day, when I pull into Stillwater, I don't care if it's the closest or if their price is now the lowest. I will not give them business because of the way that I felt gouged and exploited that day. If you're taking notes, write this down. To take advantage of someone during their darkest days is to invite deep hatred into the equation. Let me say that again. To take advantage of someone during their darkest days is to invite deep hatred into the equation. There is a point where you are doing business and then there is a point where you are gouging. We're about to get to go through the Olympics. There are going to be some people that win the qualifiers that don't get to participate. When they don't get to participate because of an injury, it's really easy to root for the replacement because it was very natural in the way the replacement comes in. Have you ever watched a situation where somebody gets in on a technicality over someone who spent their entire life working to get to the Olympics and on a technicality they get pushed out? Those people are a little bit harder to root for because again, it wasn't quite natural in the way it came together. There are going to be times where you can get a leg up on somebody who is against you. A good neighbor, a pleasant neighbor is one that says, I will be fair even when I have the upper hand and someone else is trapped in weakness. Save your spot there. Why do we do this? Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now look at Proverbs 22. Here's what the writer has to say. Proverbs 22, verse 22 and 23. It says, do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. Look at this. For the Lord will take up their case. Underline, for the Lord will take up their case. And the Lord will plunder those who plunder them. Stop right there for just a minute. The idea here is if you take some, again, the picture, the image, you take somebody to court and the Lord goes, I will be their pro bono representation. Okay, you may win this particular battle, but you have got a mark on you from me that I'm going to take care of you in the future. All right. This is something that I will handle myself. When you gouge, when you exploit someone who is lesser, someone who is at a moment where they are lesser. And you try to crush them. You don't just try to beat them. You try to squash them into the ground. The Lord is the one who takes up their case. And he will plunder you the same way that you chose to plunder them. It begs the question, are you capitalizing off of someone's misfortune? Are you capitalizing off of someone's misfortune? For some of you, the whole reason that you are here in this service today was to receive that caution. It doesn't mean that you just give everything away. It doesn't mean that, again, you just let people walk all over you if you're the one who has the upper hand. It means that the righteous deal in fairness, whether they're on top, whether they're equal, or whether they're at the bottom. Righteousness is who we are. It's how we deal. Now look at 1 Kings 22, 48, and 49, and we'll close up this story. It says, so now Jehoshaphat built a fleet of trading ships. Underline built a fleet of trading ships to go to Ophir for gold. But they never set sail. They were wrecked at Zion Geber. At that time, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my men sail with your men. But Jehoshaphat 
refuse. Stop right there for just a minute. When you read the two verses together, the reason this gets set up as part of who Jehoshaphat was as a powerful thing is because what could have been one of his greatest mistakes ends up being one of his most crowning achievements in how he kept a good reputation. Toward the end of his life, he decides if we go get more gold, we can enrich the country. Let's build a fleet of trading ships. Let's build them at this port. We'll send them out and they'll bring back gold. They'll bring back spices. They'll bring back silk. And so what does he do? They don't ever get to set sail because a storm comes in, dashes them against the rock, and all that financial investment, the people's money, is completely destroyed in one single storm. So his neighbor shows up, wicked king in Israel, Ahab's son, and he comes up and goes, hey, bro, sorry to hear about those trading ships. Really, really sad ordeal. Hey, how about this? How about we go into business together? How about your men and my men start sailing together and then we'll split the proceeds right down the middle. I've already got the trading ships. Let's go into a partnership together. And look at the power of Jehoshaphat here. It says, and Jehoshaphat refused. Can I tell you what my mom used to say? Mom, you're probably watching this, all right? My mom used to say, practice your no thank yous. Some of you need to write that down. Practice your no thank yous. We found out in the earlier verse, verse 44, that Jehoshaphat was at peace with the king of Israel. A man that we find out here in verse 49 that he was able to say no to. Just because you're trying to be pleasant with one another and have a good relationship doesn't mean you have to say yes to everybody all the time. Jehoshaphat knew with the wickedness of Ahab's family and the wickedness of the way that the people of Israel were behaving at this point. He knew, I want to keep them in a pleasant relationship, in a courteous relationship, because we share a boundary and we share blood, but I don't want to yoke myself to that person so that his decisions are affecting my people and they are affecting me. He looks at him and says, thank you, but no thank you. I sure appreciate the offer. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do we learn from Jehoshaphat about keeping a good reputation? Number one, be a pleasant neighbor. Number two, avoid exploiting the weak. And number three, avoid unworthy alliances. Avoid unworthy alliances. Practice your no thank yous, all right? I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for this relationship, but I cannot affirm what you've asked me to affirm. I cannot yoke myself to you in this circumstance. If you will learn this in business and become a yes first person that still is able to say no, then you will end up someone of great reputation. Silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. So back in the day, I go to get my first oil change. My dad offered to pay for it. And he gives me his credit card and says, go up to the oil change place. And he says, here's the deal. 25 bucks, they'll change your oil. They'll vacuum out the back seat. He goes, going to be a great deal. I'll pay for that oil change. Now remember, I take the card up there. I get the oil change, but it was one of those stay in your car oil change places. And so I'm sitting in my car. I'm waiting. They change the oil. And then all of a sudden, guy walks around and he's holding up a little box. It's the air filter. You had this happen before? He walks up and he goes, hey, son, here's your air filter. And I can see there's like dirt on there. I'm in Lubbock, and so I mean, there's, it's dirt all the time, just the way it goes. And so I'm hold, he holds up the air filter, and he goes, you want to change this out? And I go, oh, man, what do you think? 
I'm 16, right? It's my first oil change. It's my first time to ever experience that. I go, what do you think? And he goes, well, just have a look at it, man. And he kind of hits up against it. He's like, there's some dirt in there for sure. I mean, it was like two months old. My dad had gotten the oil filter changed before he gave me the car. He looks at, and he looks and he goes, there's some dirt in there for sure. I go, well, should I do this? And he goes, you'll be real glad you did, son. You'll be real glad you did. And so I go, okay, I, I guess I better do it. And so I go, how much is that going to be? And he goes, well, that's an extra $100. And so I've just gone from $25 to $125, and we could have changed that thing out ourselves for about 16 bucks, right? So all of a sudden, run the credit card. I come home, and Dad goes, what just happened, son? How did it go? And I said, it was great. Got the oil changed, and I was real lucky. They caught something. And Dad goes, oh, no. <laughs> he said, how much did you spend? I said, well, just know, I got the air filter changed. And he goes, oh, son, that's the oldest trick in the book. I said, but he told me I needed it. And he goes, we already had the oil filter changed. This is before the time of cell phones, so I couldn't call him, right? There were cell phones, but they were those huge Zach Morris brick phones. Remember those? So anyway, all that to say, I look at him and he goes, son, he goes, next time, just say no thank you. Just say no thank you. And I said, but he told me I needed it. He goes, you don't have to say yes just because they ask you to do this. Now listen to me. There are some of you, again, who are here today because you desperately needed to hear that. Just because somebody asks you to do something does not mean that you have to say yes to them in order to be their friend. Part of the problem we have in our culture right now is we forgot how to nicely say no to people. We just forgot it somewhere along the line. We either pretend like nothing is wrong and go along with everything, or we scream at an 11, no at the person, and run off in the opposite direction. What happened to the attitude like Jehoshaphat? Good reputation is being able to say, we share a boundary. No, but I like you. I'm grateful that we're neighbors. I affirm you as an individual. I'm so proud that we get to serve the Lord together in this circumstance, but I can't yoke myself to you. I just can't do it. It begs the statement, you can be at peace with someone without being tied to them. You can be at peace with someone without being tied to them. Find that line. It's a powerful place to be. And then there are some of you that would say, man, well, Zach, what does that mean for me here? The final question today, is there an alliance that you need to refuse? Is there an alliance that you need to refuse? That's our big final question that we go through today. Some of you are like, that sounds like the Godfather. Give me an offer, you can't refuse. Can I tell you the dirty secret about the Godfather? You could always say no. You could just move to another town. You could just do something else. In fact, there's a whole movie built on this principle called the Back to the Future Trilogy, all right? Marty McFly, what's the one word they have to say to him to go to response? All they got to do is call him chicken. And then guess what? Ooh, he yokes himself in an unpleasant way to that other individual. Ooh, nobody calls me chicken, right? And then before you know it, the entire space-time continuum is hinging on whether or not Marty McFly gets goaded into that fight with whoever it is that he's talking to throughout the ages. You remember the last scene? You had like 40 years to see this series, by the way, okay? <laughs> do you remember the last scene? In the last scene, he's with his girlfriend in the car. He's learned in wisdom that 
that this is a terrible attribute in himself. And you remember, the guy pulls up in the car next to him and goes, let's race, let's race. What are you, chicken? It doesn't matter if he wins the race with the person he's never even seen before in the car next to him. So what's he do? Are you chicken? He puts it in reverse, goes in the opposite direction, and he sees in front of him, if he had floored it, if he had raced him, he would have wrecked his life by running into a car just up the road. Here's the picture. Do the righteous thing and don't get involved in the race. Do the righteous thing and don't allow people to goad you into these unworthy alliances. Do the right thing and don't affirm everyone and everything when scripture is clear we should not do that thing. Is there an alliance that you need to refuse? Thanks, but no thanks. And you don't do that at an 11, you do it at about a four. I'm grateful, but I just can't do it. We get our final verse, verse 50. Just because we do every verse in this church. You ready? Verse 50. It says, Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried. And he was buried with them in the city of David, his father. And Joram, his son, succeeded him. The end of the story on relationship, or excuse me, on, uh, on uh, uh, reputation, is that eventually your time will run out. And when that happens, you'll go to be with the Lord. It's just how it goes. This earth is but a flicker. It's just but a moment. And then after it's over, you just have how you lived. And then you stand before God. Thanks for listening today, guys. Again, this is a little-known passage that some of you might never would have heard previously. No one's here by accident. Let's do business with the Lord. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes.